Wow, isn't church good? Isn't it good to be back? Okay, that's just me and Carla. Uh, everybody else okay today? Are you glad to be back? I tell you, I'm pumped. I'm so excited um, about everything at the moment. Tomorrow morning, I get to go off. Well, tomorrow afternoon, I get to go off, and we're going to release Ignition now. That's not the young people doing a walkout or a protest. They're going to their special work, so we just bless them on their way, our Ignition group. But tomorrow, I'm going with some of the leaders with, uh, I think it's 65 of our young people. And uh, so, yeah, I'm going to brush off Andy Youth Cap. Andy Youth Pastor Cap. That's coming out of the closet tonight. Going to dust that off. But please, come on. Look how many young people. Just take a look back a second. How many young people we've got in family church. That's just a blessing. And they're not the church of tomorrow. They're the church of today. Amen. We're not waiting for them to come of age. They're the church today as much as we're a part of the church today. But hey, pray for us this week. For those who are a little bit older, like Pastor Stuart, pray for energy. <clears throat> pray for energy. For people like uh, Pastor Paula, just pray that she won't explode, because I've never seen her this excited, um, ever. And so she's just going to combust in front of them. But we're believing. Believe with us this week. That our young people will get tired, have fun, eat food, but also get a touch of God in their lives. Come on, I don't know about you, my life was impacted at youth camps my parents sent me to. Sometimes I didn't even want to go, but my parents sent me because they wanted time out from me. Don't know why. Don't know why. But in the midst of those meetings, God always touched the young Andy Elms to a degree that it changed who I am today. I was sharing with the young people on Friday night. I said, last time I went to a youth camp as somebody attending was 44 years ago. And that's scary. They looked at me. You could see it in their eyes. They were like, antique. They were just looking at me like, you know, whoa, that's like three times my life. But I said, what God did in those moments, I can still remember those moments on the Isle of Wight Bible camp we were sent to. They changed the course of my life. They changed the course of my life for good. And we're believing for our young people this week, eh? Come on, you're going to join with me, church? You're going to put this on your fridge? You're going to remember to pray, God, touch our young people so that they're never the same again. Brilliant. So good to have you here. Hey, big thanks to everybody that's jumping on team. I think we've got 210 people in Portsmouth alone. Remember, we've got congregations all over the place, haven't, and Gosport. But in Portsmouth alone, there's around 205, 200, uh, 210 people that are back on team, started afresh and said, when church is starting, we want to be in it to win it. And this morning, I turned up for the, the setup team, and we were strong. Come on, isn't that awesome? That we're coming out of a COVID time, a confusing time. What the devil meant to shut us down has actually caused us to come out more passionate to reach this city for Jesus than ever before. So I just want to give a shout out, whether it's kids, teams, or whatever. Thank you, everyone, for just joining in with that. Okay, now we're on this series called Good Foundations, and if you've missed any of the last three or four weeks, the good news is all you need to do is go to family.church, and you can catch up <clears throat> on any of the, um, the ones that went before if you missed them, all right? Now, we're back to this series, Good Foundations. I want to teach again a little bit this morning 
rather than preach. Because the greatest breakthrough you will ever get in your life is when you see something in the Word of God yourself. When you see something in the Word of God and the Holy Spirit lights it up for you, that's when you're never the same again. And my prayer is we're talking about grace and righteousness and justification and these subjects that could sound boring by their introduction titles are actually subjects that if we see in the word for ourselves what God has done for us, we won't go back to anything less next week, next year. And so my heart in teaching this foundational series is for us to go into our next in September all knowing who we are in Christ. Now, we've looked at some of the keystone foundations that should be under every believer's life. We've looked at grace, unmerited, undeserved, unearned favour. Last week, we began to look at righteousness. And what did we mean by that? That a man is made righteous or right before God as a matter of faith alone. Now, our journey so far, it's been an epic journey, has left us completely saved by God's grace and made right in his sight through placing simple belief in what he did for us in and through Christ. I want to continue this week to take a moment to continue to unpack righteousness, right standing with God. Now, why is righteousness and justification important to our foundations? Because they're the foundations of the throne of God. I saw that this morning. I was reading Psalm 91. And we're speaking about our foundations. But listen to God's foundations. It says that righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne. So if we want to know how to stand before him, we have to have a biblically true understanding of what righteousness that pleases him is and what justification is in our lives. So we're going to continue to unpack righteousness or right standing with God. You all with me? Okay. They've done the brilliant uh, thing of covering the skylight, so you're not going to be roasting towards the end of the meeting today, so just stay tuned in with me. I want to continue just for a moment opening to just say some statements about righteousness that came from the law, because we're not speaking in these meetings of a righteousness or a right standing of God that comes through the law. Yet the Bible, as many of you know, records that there was a righteousness that came from the law, but it was superseded, fulfilled, and replaced by a greater righteousness that came from faith in Jesus. But when we're talking about righteousness, we're not talking about self-righteousness. We're not saying, oh, as the church of Jesus Christ, we are to be self-righteous. We don't need any more self-righteous people in the church or in the world. The righteousness that we're speaking of, we would call it inherent or imputed righteousness, which means it's come to us as a gift and not a reward. It's not wages for anything we did because we could never do enough to gain a righteousness that pleased God based in our own ability. Now, the righteousness that's received, that we've received, is through placing trust in Jesus as Saviour, not by the good works that we do or through us keeping the law as people 
pre-cross used to do. Now, there was an old covenant pre-cross condition of righteousness that produced by the law a standing of righteousness before the Lord, but it was only ever meant to be temporary. It was meant to be the shadow before the perfect came, all right? Now, the problem with the law when it produced righteousness was there was no problem with the law. The problem with the law to produce righteousness was this. There was no problem with the law. The Bible says very clearly in Romans 7 verse 12 that the law was holy. The law was good. The law was for us to see the way of living that God considered to be a perfect way of living. The problem with the law wasn't the law, it was you and me. Because we couldn't keep the perfect law of God. The problem wasn't the law. Sometimes you hear people beating on the law. There was no problem with the law. The law was and is holy. The problem was our ability to keep the law, to gain a standing of righteousness that was certain and stable. Because you see, the people under the law had to keep every law. We're talking six to eight hundred individual laws, just to that category of law. To be right before God by keeping the law meant you had to keep every single law, every single day. And if you broke one, you'd broken them all. Now, there was a comparison made by Charles Spurgeon that said, it's like when you lower a man down the mine on a chain. There may be many links, but if one link breaks, it's over. That was our standing with God based upon keeping the law. We may have kept some. The problem was that we couldn't keep all. So there wasn't a permanent righteousness <coughs> in our life. Now, Romans 3 states, the law could not make anyone righteous. It was holy it was good. It represented the perfect way of living according to God. But it couldn't make, according to Romans 3.20, a, a person perfect with the perfection that God required. It only provided a temporary covering of right standing or righteousness that was only temporary because we, again, couldn't keep the law. It was only meant to be temporary until a perfect righteousness came. The problem is, especially for people that have not yet believed in Jesus and they're of Jewish descent, is they're still living in the temporary that was only meant to hold people till Jesus came with that which was perfect and permanent. Now, again, when we look at the law and the relationship between the law to gain righteousness, we understand that Jesus never removed it or nullified it. He fulfilled it. Sometimes people, you hear them preaching like, ah, oh, Jesus did away with the law. Jesus didn't do away with the law. He fulfilled the law's requirement in his life on the cross, representing you and me. Now, again, there's many verses. I wish that we could, I know you'd be bored stiff, some of you, but I wish we could take a few weeks to talk about how awesome the law was and our inability or inability to keep it. Because I think the law has had some bad press. 
because people don't understand what it was for. Now again, Galatians 3.24 gives us a glimpse into three things that the law, to gain a right standing with God, was meant to be for us. Number one, it was a jailer. Number two, it was a tutor or a teacher. And number three, it was a shadow. So when Paul, who knew the law, nobody knew the law better than Paul, he was the top of the tree, taught on the law, he said this, it was only meant to be a jailer in your life. What did he mean by that? The purpose of the law was to keep you in a condition of righteousness until perfect righteousness came in Christ. You with me? Number two, Paul said it was to be a tutor. Now, when you look at the word used for tutor, it's not the guy at the front of a classroom with a blackboard or a marker pen. The word tutor represented a person, right, who had the responsibility of going to collect the pupil from his home to bring him to the classroom he needed to be in. That's the unpacking of that word tutor. It's not a teacher at the front doing sums on, on, on a board. So we understand that Paul was saying, the law was holy, the law was good, but can't you see its purpose was only ever to get you and bring you to the classroom or the experience of perfect righteousness that comes through the righteous one, Jesus Christ. Paul also reveals that the law to gain the state of righteousness was a shadow. Now, when I walk in the room, I don't know where he is right now. Oh, he's there. There's my shadow. My shadow has no substance. It can arrive before me, but it has nothing that can really benefit you apart from announce substance is coming. The law was a shadow saying, Here's a condition of righteousness so that you can do life with God. But it's an announcement. There's a better right standing with God that's coming around the corner. And it will perfect you. So we don't want a right standing that comes from the fulfilling of the law. There isn't a right standing that comes from our good works. According to the Bible, Isaiah says that anything that we do to obtain a right standing with God is nothing more than filthy, blood-stained garments before him. So true righteousness, which is what we're talking about, comes simply and perfectly to those who believe by faith alone. Now, I love this verse, Romans 10, verse 4. For Christ is the end or the summing up or the fulfillment of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Come on, that ties together everything I've been preaching the last two or three weeks. Some of you were like, yeah, I'm not sure about that. I think that's Andy's opinion. It's not Andy's opinion. Let's read it for ourselves. For Jesus Christ is the end of the law to get a right standing with God that's true to everyone who believes and place faith in him. Come on, that's good news, right? All right. Now, I want this stuff to be keystones in what we believe in family church. 
It's not a take it or leave it message. This will change your life if you'll think about it. Once again, righteousness involves um, this wonderful thing that we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks called faith. Now, to fully understand righteousness correctly, you have to understand another word called justification. Because righteousness, right standing with God, comes through justification. Justification is God making the one who was unjust perfectly just in his sight. So righteousness and justification, they're similar, they're connected. But you've got to understand that God has justified you. Here's another keystone truth. God has Well, I didn't ask him to. He wasn't looking for your permission. God has justified you. Well, I don't feel just. Nobody's asking you how you feel. Sorry if that offends you. The Bible declares over you that he has justified you. Come on, isn't that good? This stuff, if it doesn't make you worship, I don't know what will. So we've got to understand what it is to be justified. Again, justification is something connected with that word again, Faith. It doesn't come by effort or the keeping of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Here's a couple of key verses I want you to make notes of if you're making notes or think about later on in the week. Listen to what Paul is saying to the Galatians, but also to the Romans. He says in Galatians 2 verse 16, Yet we know, this is stuff that we should know, yet we know. The problem with some people's walk with God is they don't yet know. We should know, yet we know, that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, so we also have believed in Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by the works of the law, because the works of the law, no one will be justified. What's Paul talking about? He's talking about justification. He's saying that the law cannot justify anyone perfectly, but justification comes to every person that places faith in Christ. Now, Paul mentions this many, many times, justification through the epistles and through his writings. He says in the book of Romans, chapter 3, verse 28, for we hold to this truth, that a person is justified, made just in the sight of God, by faith, here it comes again, apart from, separate to, the works of the law. Romans 5 verse 1. This, this verse is awesome. Now every verse is awesome. But boy, this one needs to become a memory chart. You need to tattoo this one, not on your skin, but in your believer, inside of you, in the knower within you. Ready? Romans 5 verse 1. Therefore, since, past tense, it's not going to happen, it already has. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we now have peace with God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not enjoying peace with the Father, it's because you don't understand as you should that you've been justified by the Son. But the moment you understand you've been justified by the Son, the result of that is you have peace with the Father that's not determined on your performance. 
but rather on his performance, how he did it so well on the cross 2,000 years ago. So briefly, what is justification? It's God announcing to a person like you and me that we are righteous right before him, not based on what we've done, but by what he did for us in Christ. It's God restoring man to the perfect condition he knew before Adam sinned. You see, when you're justified by Christ, God doesn't take you back to the moment before a particular sin in your life. He takes you back to the Garden of Eden. And he makes you as if what Adam did never happened in your world. One of the most common definitions that you hear used for justification is justified, just as if I'd never sinned. Justified, just as if I'd never sinned. You see, it's not just our sin, but all sin, that God brings us back to a place that before his sight, it never happened. Now, here's the breakdown sometimes with your communication with God. You come before him going, I'm a sinner, I'm, I'm lower than the belly of an ant, I'm disgusting, I am, I'm an animal. And God says, I don't understand what you're saying. I don't know you that way. I know you through the perfection and the righteousness of the one you're now in, which is my son, Jesus Christ. Now, again, it's all about what he did with Jesus when we weren't involved. Aren't you glad that God made you righteous and justified you without involving you? Oh, some of you wanted to be involved. You would have ruined it. Let me just give you a newsflash. You would have ruined it. That's why God puts people to sleep when he does things. Like Abraham, he put Abraham to sleep when he made a covenant. He put Adam to sleep when he, he brought the woman out of Adam. We were in the sleep of death. And our righteousness and justification was the produce of what God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit did without our involvement. We step into a perfected place by faith alone. That's all we bring to the party. Well, this is too good to be true. That's why the gospel means good news. Good news. I hear some people preaching. I'm like, that's bad news. That's bad news. The gospel, the word gospel means good news. And it's the good news of Jesus Christ, not what you did to help him. We enter into a finished work and we rejoice in doing that. All right, let's go back to Romans. I love the book of Romans. If I was lost or if I was sent to a desert island and I could take one book with me, it would be the Bible, obviously. Some of you probably would take Harry Potter, but we'll pray for you afterwards. <laughs> Others a dictionary. You know, a dictionary is just a long poem about everything. If you start at the beginning and work way through the end. I'd, I'd say, leave me a Bible. If they said you can only have one book, I'd say, that's the book of Romans. Leave me the book of Romans. And if they pressed me, if they pressed me for an individual chapter, it'd have to be, I think, Romans 6. But that's just my persuasion. Romans 3, 23. Listen to Paul preaching this. You ready? <clears throat> For all have sinned, all have blown it, and fallen short of the standard and the requirement for righteousness by God. And are justified, all have blown it, 
and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That's good news. That's the gospel. Whom God put forward on our behalf by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at this present time so that he might be, this is a bit I want you to really catch on to, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what beca- where becomes our boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? By the law of works? No, by the law of faith. For we hold to this truth, that a person is justified, made perfect in the sight of God, just as if they'd never sinned, by faith apart from the law. So the bit I want you to catch is, he was just, but also the justifier. He was the one who never violated what was true because that would make him an unjust God. And we can't serve an unjust God. God made us just as our justifier without being unjust. I suppose the the best story I've ever heard that kind of painted this simply was that of a judge. There was a judge in court doing his daily duties, sentencing people according to their crimes. And one day his head was down, he just heard one case pronounced a judgment. They said, here's case number 1023. And um, he said, what's the, uh, what's the offender's name? And they read the name and suddenly realized that was his son. So suddenly he's in the predicament that he's the judge, but now his son is standing before him guilty. And so to be just, the judge had to pass the correct judgment and punishment on the person in front of him, even though that, that was his son. So the judge went ahead and passed the judgment that left him just. But what shocked the courtroom next was when he took off the judge's wig, stepped down, pushed his son out of the way, and said, and I'll take that punishment on me. You see, in what happened before the father and the son, God remained just in justifying us because he placed the right punishment and judgment upon himself and bore it on the cross. And everyone who believes can step in to a state of justification where they're blameless in the sight of God. Why? Because judgment was passed and the punishment fully carried out on his only beloved son. Now, we may be able in life to be just with one another by things we do. If I do this, you may consider me just in regard to me and you. Now, the problem for humanity is we may be just with one another, but none of us could be just before God because his standard was perfect. His standard is perfect. Yet the Bible says to us, he has perfected forever 
those who believe. <clears throat> Do you know you're perfect today? Do you know you're perfect? I don't feel it. Again, let's get over that. No one's asking you how you feel. The Bible is declaring over you, you are perfect in the Son. So we understand that our only involvement in justification that brings true righteousness is this thing called faith alone. <clears throat> or as its Latin describes it, sola fida. Faith alone. Through faith and faith alone, sola fida, we now, not will be, we now stand blameless before God as the Son is blameless. Because the Son stood before the Father as us. We spoke on that last week. The benefits of the divine exchange of the cross. That's why Paul said, I will not boast in anything I've done. I'll boast in the cross alone. Because on the cross, the holy righteous one came and stood before the Father as the separated sinner. So that the separated sinner could now stand before the Father without his head being hung low. Not with a condition of self-righteousness, but a righteousness that was a free gift from God. Okay, stay with me. I'm going to bring this in for a landing. Justification by faith shouldn't be a truth in your belief system. It should be the, the truth. It's not essential or, or to the, it's central. Everything that you build on, remember we're saying that justification and righteousness are keystones in the believer's life. This isn't take it or leave it. This is a keystone we all need established in our life. That we've been made just before the Father in Christ. Now, this is strange because throughout history, it's like the devil has constantly been working to disrupt or remove this keystone. What keystone? A man is justified and made right in the sight of God by sola fide, faith alone. Of all of the stones the devil has tried to move in church history, the last 2,000 years, it's this one. Because if he can shift the stone of justification by faith, he brings you back in to works and condemnation. That's why we've got to be adamant, adamant, adamant that we've been made justified. We've been made right by what Christ has done and that alone. Now, actually, it's something also that God has always protected and revived. If you study church history, the last 2,000 years, Around the 15th century and 16th century, you'll see that there was a time where people didn't know that they'd been justified by faith because man had added to the gospel man-made truths that weren't true. And you see a society around the 16th century that was back into beating themselves, whipping themselves, doing the most bizarre things to try and obtain what God had already done for them. Now, we would call ourselves to some degree, even though it would be misunderstood, Protestant believers. 
Protestant believers. But what do we mean by that? It means that we have a very different belief about justification by faith than the Catholic Church in Rome. Now, some, oh, he's getting edgy. No, no, I'm telling you the truth. Our belief concerning some things with the Catholic Church that was in Rome may be similar. But when it comes to a person being justified by faith <clears throat> alone, we differ in our belief. You see, we believe faith alone. Where the Catholic Church in Rome, they were teaching, that's why we had a dark ages and there needed to be a reformation, they were teaching that faith is important, but faith added with this produced. And that was the crime. The Protestant church preached faith alone. We still preach faith alone. The problem why many people were walking around condemned and sin-minded was the Catholic church, I want to say in Rome, at that time, were preaching faith is one ingredient. I want to just straighten out today to everyone that's hearing, when it comes to righteousness, it's the only ingredient. See, what happened then was the Roman Catholic Church in Rome, right, were able to add things to the gospel that weren't there before. Things like purgatory, a place where your loved ones went to, but it's okay, you could buy things called indulgences, that if you bought indulgences, you could buy your loved ones out of a holding place called purgatory and let them go to heaven. Man-made rubbish with no biblical foundation. It was a money-making scheme. They also came up with things called papal infallibility, that the Pope was more than a man and he could not sin in his own right. They came up with a whole bunch of things. They came up with a merit bank that Jesus didn't use all of his merit when he was on earth. So when he went to heaven, what he didn't use was put in a bank and the Pope had the keys of the kingdom to release merit on people if they paid. I'm telling you the truth. Go and study it. And in the middle of this, you had good people like you and me but we're doing our very best to be right before God. But we were being ripped off and conned. But God had a plan. It was called Martin Luther. Oh, Martin Luther King. Wrong one. Wrong part in history. Martin Luther was, he was this monk. He loved God. But he'd been taught under the Catholic Church in Rome that it wasn't just faith. He had to do a number of things. He had to go through certain obligations. He had to do things to actually even get a chance of being nearly right enough to stand a chance of going to heaven. But if he didn't, someone could buy him out of purgatory. It was just a junk. And there was this moment in the life of Martin Luther where he came to Rome and he came to a place called Pilate's Staircase. Now, this is important. I'm laying a platform to say something at the end of this meeting. And he had to do something called Scala Sancta. Scala Sancta was a man-made... Um, obligation that said that you would make a pilgrimage to Rome, all right, and if you went up a staircase, Pilate's staircase, positioned in Rome, on your knees, you could release loved ones that were in purgatory and let them go to heaven. So as a good monk, not wanting to question what was being taught, 
Martin Luther made his pilgrimage to Rome. He went to the bottom of, of the pilot staircase and he began Scala Sancta. He started to go up on cut glass on his knees. Uh, forgive me, Father, I have sinned. How Mary. Forgive me, Father, I have sinned. How Mary. And he's going up there believing he's doing something that's pleasing God. Halfway up the staircase, it says in his records that he suddenly heard within himself a loud, booming voice. It was the voice of the Holy Spirit. And halfway up the staircase, on his knees, trying to make God like him, not even love him, just like him, the Holy Spirit spoke into his heart and said, the just shall live by faith. A man is not justified by his works, but by faith in Jesus Christ alone. <laughs> History records in that moment Martin Luther said, what am I doing? And it says he got to his feet and he then walked back down the staircase, a free man, and began to actually come against the man-made works of the Catholic Church in Rome, nailing a thesis to the door of Wittenberg, some of you know that, saying, they made this up, they made this up, they made this up, this is man-made, this is what God has said, that a person is Fully justified, made righteous by solar feeder. Faith in Christ alone. And that became known as the Protestant Reformation. But the problem is, the devil always, like lightning, follows the path of least resistance. If he did something once before and it worked, he'll try that again. He's a sneaky critter. And he's still trying to disturb the stone of justification by faith in the modern church today. That's why be careful to what you listen to on YouTube. Listen to stuff, but be careful to what you're listening to. And if it doesn't come from a sound that you have been justified, made right by God, before God, by your faith in Christ, do yourself a favour, turn it off. Because you see, when I'm dealing with Christians, it's not just the church, it's Christians' lives where they allow the enemy to shift this stone. But the problem is, if the enemy shifts the stone of your fundamental belief that a person is made right before God by faith alone, suddenly the devil can get you doing stuff to make God like you. He can bring condemnation into your life. Where the book of Romans clearly says in Romans 8, there is no condemnation for those who have placed their faith in Christ. Condemnation means a damnation. There is no damnation. There is no damnation for those who have placed their faith in Christ because Christ has justified them and left them standing with an imputed righteousness they did nothing to earn, warrant, or deserve. Where does that leave us? Surely it must leave us in this position. I couldn't do it myself, God. You did it for me. I'll worship you all of my days, Jesus, because you made the unjust justified. You made the unholy holy. You made the unrighteous righteous. You've restored me to stand blameless in your sight, that I can walk with a boldness and not condemnation. Sola fide, faith alone. 
I want to pray for you this morning if you've never given your life to Jesus. If you've never handed over your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've never received his gift of salvation. It's a gift. The Bible says that we've been given the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Salvation, every good thing you get from God is a gift. Today, if you've never received the gift of salvation... I want you just to pray with me. In fact, let's all pray together. Then I'm going to give an opportunity at the end to respond. Heavenly Father, come on, let's hear you. Heavenly Father, thank you that I can stand before you as Christ because Christ stood before you as me. Thank you that you justify and make righteous my life by faith alone. I believe in you, Jesus. And as I do, my sin is forgiven and washed away. And your righteousness comes on my life like a cloak. You clothe me with your righteousness. I receive you, Jesus and everything you did for me. Amen. Just my every eye's closed, every head's bowed. If you're here and you've never responded to the good news, actually, I'm going to start calling it good news. Gospel confuses people. I'm going to just start, have you heard the good news? The good news, the good news. You've never responded to the good news, but today you say, I get it, Andy. I get it. Today I respond and receive him as Lord and Saviour. You prayed that prayer already. I'm going to ask you to do one more thing for me at the close of this meeting. I'm going to ask you in a couple of minutes, just a couple of seconds, to lift your hand if that's you. What have you got to lose? You've got nothing to lose. You've got everything to gain. You've got everything that you could gain in this moment. So if you prayed that prayer and you don't know God or you've been away from God, but you want to start your journey with him today, restart a journey with him today. As I count to three, would you lift your hands? One, two, three. Three, right now, if that's you. Just lift your hand if that's you and you don't know where you stand with God. Lift your hand nice and high so I can see your hand. Let heaven see your hand today. I'm believing for a day that we're going to see 10, 20, 30, 40 people responding on a Sunday morning. That's the days we're coming into. If you're lifting your hand, some people are worshipping. They're just oh, But if you're lifting your hand to say that prayer's mine, stick one hand up nice and high so I know that's you. Other people are just worshipping. I love that. Father, I thank you that truth comes to our world and sets us free. I bless every one of these people, their families and their households. Let them walk in their righteousness this week. Let them awaken in the morning knowing what they are and what they no longer need to become. Let them be true to what you've done and enjoy and live in the good of it. Amen. Hey, if you lifted your hand, we want to help you take the next step. We want to have people walk with you the next couple of weeks. If you go to the back, my right, your left, there'll be a pastor there. Pastor Sean will be there. Just give him a couple of moments. We've got a gift for you, and uh, that's brilliant. Listen, I know I took longer the last couple of weeks, and we've been teaching. Next week, I don't know, I'm going to come back from youth camp preaching like a 16-year-old. So, so get ready for that. We're going to stay in the series, but next week I'm going to look at how God created perfect ground in our life before we began to build so next week I'm going to try and put my preaching hat I'm going to come because I've been at youth camp baseball cap backwards I'm going to be on like I don't know any young person that walks like that that would kind of be wrong 
but that's kind of me being a young person if you're trying to interpret that moment. But hey, thank you. Thank you for being a church that listens. I've been to churches that the moment you begin to teach, they all shut off. I'm so thankful that family church aren't like that. When myself or Stuart or one of a team begin to teach the word, I love it. People begin to lean in. Let's be a people that lean into truth. Amen. You got anything else you want to say, Stu? Come on, let's hear it for Pastor Stu. He's a legend. <laughs>